What up, all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 235 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with Norm Bauer. But before I introduce him, I'd like to take a moment to thank all of my patrons out there, all of those individuals who support me on Patreon. In this last week, I got a big influx of patrons and donors, and I just want to say thank you to everyone who has participated in the past and is currently participating in supporting Misfits and Rejects. To give you some perspective, hosting Misfits and Rejects on Squarespace, which is where I host it, always have just because that's where I started, cost me about 50 bucks a month. And for the last six years, I've just eaten that cost. And now with the help of my new patrons and those of the past, I am able to cover that cost. That's huge for me. It's tremendously helpful because there's a lot of time and money that goes into producing these episodes and every little bit counts. So I just want to say thank you so much to the individuals who donate a monthly amount to help me produce Misfits and Rejects on a regular basis. So I'm going to go through by name. Big shout out to Bob, Colleen, John. Yazi, Wallace, Jen, Mark, Jay, Tina, and Cullen. I appreciate everyone who has participated and currently participating and donating. I appreciate you all so much. It means so much to me to have this kind of support. If you also would like to join them in supporting Misfits and Rejects, you can head over to patreon.com backslash misfits and rejects or just head over to patreon.com and search for Misfits and Rejects. That'll give you the opportunity to see how these individuals have been donating. Any amount helps. $1 up to $25 or more. Recently, I had a lot of $25 donations. With that donation, you get a free t-shirt. But again, thank you to all my patrons. I love you so much. It means the world to me. And all the individuals who have reached out and helped in the past too. I don't want to forget you. But today was just about saying a big thank you to those individuals who are giving me a monthly donation. Thank you so much. And with that said, I'd like to introduce Norm Bauer. Norm is a writer. He is the author of COVID-19, Positive Lessons That Started Very, Very Badly. Really cool, creative, digital nomad who got started very late. As you'll hear throughout the episode, he lost everything in 2008, had to recreate himself, went into freelance writing, has been now on the road for the last three or four years with his fiance been to hundreds of cities around the world, lived in so many cool places, is now in Turkey, and he's a really cool guy to talk to. Funny enough, he spent the last 40 years in Orange County, so we had that connection. And actually, I was on his blog as an interviewee about two years ago, and we reconnected. But it's a really cool story because it just goes to show that this lifestyle is attainable. Whether you're 21 years old, fresh out of college with a skill set that allows you to work remotely, or as he says, if you're 67 years old, never traveled in your life, but found that your circumstances changed drastically and you had to reinvent yourself, well, there's definitely opportunities out there for you to make a decent living in a place where the cost of living is so low that your quality of life is extremely high. And he summarizes this episode very beautifully. So... I have no doubt that you're going to get a lot of inspiration from Norm. So please sit back, relax, enjoy this episode with Norm Bauer. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories really try to overcome that fear. 
And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Mystics of Rejects. Today I'm joined by Norm Bauer, the author of Positive Lessons That Started Very, Very Badly. Norm, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chapin. It's good to be here. It's nice to have you, man. I was on, well, not your show, but your we did an article together for your blog about two years ago. Yeah, basically, uh, you and I met uh, two years ago before COVID ever uh, took over the world. And I was writing a book about, about nomadic travelers like you and like me and other very forceful people out there in the world and how they got around doing that and everything. So that's how you and I met. And we were fellow Californians with a similar foundation, similar location. And uh, the whole idea was to talk about how people started on the road and why people started on the road. And then, of course, COVID stopped everyone from being on the road. And, you know, now it's kind of hit or miss. And I'm over here in Turkey. And it's really interesting how it uh, it's impacting people, but it's not stopping people. So it's like it's people's perceptions about whether they think it's a problem. And then, of course, the government actions that stop people from actually getting into countries easily. So it's it's a checkerboard of all kinds of interesting scenarios all over the world right now. Yeah, I really enjoyed that conversation we had two years ago. There's a lot of synchronicity in what we're both trying to accomplish with the messages that we're trying to bring across through your writing and my podcast. And just in general, you are a very laid back, easy guy to talk to. I can tell by the you know poignant questions you ask, the curiosity you have with me in my life and I appreciate you for being who you are. So thanks for d- just doing what oh, you're doing. I appreciate that, man. Very cool. Thank you. And I, I likewise. Thank you. <laughs> you know, there's not a lot of people like you and I out there. There's a lot of people out there who want to do this and who dream about doing this. And and that's part of life. You know, there's a lot of dreamers. There's just not a lot of doers. And, you know, execution is probably the biggest thing lacking in life, whether it be in business or, you know, your own aspirations or anything else like that. But, you know, people always fantasize of what's it like traveling the world? And, oh, I wish I could live in Italy. Oh, I wish I could live in fill in the blank. And, you know, it just takes gumption and it takes courtesy, uh, courage to to actually do that and the fact that you did it you know prior to me and you had your travels and you will have your travels again and I started late I'm 67 now I didn't start till three years ago um, I mean my my focus is is helping baby boomers and and encouraging them and telling them hey it's not too late I don't care if you're over 50 I don't care if you're over 60 you can still do it it's affordable it's not scary uh, there are questions, of course, but you know, living in the United States or living anywhere where people are listening to this right now, there's always uncertainties. Nothing is ever guaranteed or assured in life. There's always questionable things that happen, whether you can control them or not. Yeah, Norm, I agree completely. And you know, maybe we can take the audience a little bit into your background. You know, because you said you only started this lifestyle about three years ago. You're 67 now. I mean, what was life like for you up until that point? Where do you come from? What do you? What were you doing? <laughs> <laughs> very conventional, very traditional. Uh, born and raised on the East Coast, moved to California uh, 40 years ago, 45 years ago now. Lived in, uh, most of the time, Orange County, California. My career, my life was as a real estate agent. I uh, got married to a woman with children. We were married 27 years, had the house, the three-car garage, had uh, a fairly normal, fairly good lifestyle, but being in real estate, you know, in Southern California, I rode the ups and downs, the roller coaster ride of recession and, you know, success. And that was very straining and strainful and stressful. 
And in 2008, uh, for anyone who remembers, for anyone who's old enough or reads recent history, all hell broke loose in the United States and the rest of the world when we had this recession. And the recession in real estate was especially hard hit, especially in certain pockets of the United States, including Southern California. So over about a four-year period between 2008 and 2012, um, I pretty much uh, – you know, lost the investment properties I had and all of my savings and my already shaky marriage, uh, you know, went, went away and had to move out of the house. And I had to reinvent myself uh, finally in 2013. And there I was 59 years old. And up until that time, I had been outside the United States just one time, Mexico and, and Canada not included. And that was in the mid 90s. My ex and I chaperoned my daughter's high school uh, Latin class. Uh, her Latin teacher every year took their students to Rome and to a couple other places. And so she and I were chaperones and we basically just went along like the sheep that everyone else who's on a tour is. And we hit Rome and Florence and, and Pompeii and everything. And, you know, and looking back, Chapin, I would think that why was I not more engaged? Why was I not like, holy crap, this is a really, really fun, different lifestyle over here. But instead, as soon as I came back, you know, I got back in the same old habits and never went overseas again until, you know, five years ago. And in the intervening years, um, had to reinvent myself as a single man. And I started a new career uh, as a speaker, as a trainer in a niche industry. And I was invited to speak at three different events. This is uh, going back to the summer of 2016. I was invited to speak in Warsaw, in Amsterdam and in um, Prague. So because the events were so closely placed together, um, I did that over a period of about 19 days. And just me and my big backpack uh, hit six different countries. And I was like, wow, this is so different. These people, they travel cross borders effortlessly. And, and the young people, especially the millennials, were very inspirational because they didn't let language barriers or currency or lack of understanding what was going on stop them. And meanwhile, here I was in my young 60s, and I'm looking at signs that I can't read and trying to figure out um, how I get from one place to the other. And it was very overwhelming to me, but I was piqued and I was curious. And I, I told myself I need to go back and spend more time overseas, specifically in Europe. And I especially wanted to go back there because my roots are there. My mother was born in Hungary, and uh, unfortunately, her whole life, she wanted to take me back to Budapest and to her hometown in Hungary. And, you know, egotistical, arrogant Norm here said, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go traveling with mom. You know, I'm too cool for that. And, of course, in hindsight, I wish I had because my life could have taken different directions. But after that trip in 2016, um, I specifically made the effort to go back again, and I did uh, three years ago. Matter of fact, exactly four years ago now, uh, as we're recording this in January of 2022, uh, my at that time brand new girlfriend and I went to to Spain and to and to France for uh, about about eight days, and we enjoyed ourselves. And she and I are still together. We are now engaged to be married, and she and I uh, hit the road three years ago. And sold everything, and I decided that we would spend six weeks in different locations because six weeks because was kind of like a magical number. I think six weeks is long enough to get to know an area, get to know the food, the culture, maybe make some friends. And if you tie two six-week periods together, 
you've got your 90 days, and that's normally how long you can stay in any one of the what we call Schengen countries, uh, which is most of most of Europe. So that's what happened. So we've been traveling ever since, and we went to Spain and Italy, and then we had to leave the EU and went to Croatia, and then we traveled through Eastern Europe, um, and then we went back and went through Greece and went to the Far East, and we were uh, in January of, of 2020. That's when COVID hit. We were in Thailand, right next door to China, when all hell broke loose. And it just so happens that we were planning on coming back to the United States for her son's wedding in March of that year. So we made it back. And, of course, we're reading about all the stuff that's happening back in the United States, wondering, holy shit, is this just a media uh, hyper-exaggeration? Because we're reading about and hearing about the run on toilet paper and, and, and cleaning products and various things like that. And come to find out, we got back to the United States and we couldn't go back to Europe. So uh, we already had a scheduled trip to Mexico that was supposed to last for two weeks. And that two weeks turned into 15 months because we had no home in the United States and we couldn't go back to Europe and we couldn't go south into Central or South America. So like many other people, we were kind of like uh, stuck. But a lot of people, you know, never never really gave me a lot of sympathy, Chapin, because here I was a 15 minute bicycle ride from the beach paying, you know, $350 a month rent. Uh, eating very inexpensive Mexican food and drinking very inexpensive Mexican beer. So, you know, I can't say I suffered. It was just frustrating not being able to move because people like you, people like me, we don't like being chained down. We like to have our freedom. We do. We do. Wow. No, I'm so inspired, man. That's such a cool story. And I'd like to get a little granular on a few of the points you made earlier, just so some of the listeners out there who are kind of in this situation that they don't know why they're in it. Like going back to this kind of conventional lifestyle you spoke about that you committed yourself to for 40 years. I mean, and you kind of alluded to it never even occurred to you to do something different. You know, with your mom wanting to take you back to Europe didn't ha seem interesting to you. Where, what was that coming from? Do you think, was that just something you had implanted in your head that like, this is going to be a real estate agent for 40 years, happy home and family. Like, what do you, what do you, what's that about? I think uh, that's a really <laughs> terrific question because I asked myself that as well. You know, fear, of course, is the biggest demotivator out there. Um, people are fearful of anything outside their very small comfort zone or what I call bubbles. We all live in a bubble, and whoever's listening to this, no matter where you're listening to this, you're living in a bubble, whether it be in your small city or state or country or wherever it is. Uh, it's your lifestyle. It's the lifestyle that you've created, and everything inside that bubble is, is comfortable for you, and outside that bubble is less comfortable for you. And myself as a real estate agent and someone who was not familiar with travel, I was under the mistaken impression that traveling was expensive. Traveling was unaffordable. Traveling was scary, um, but actually they are true, all of them, because there's a difference between being a tourist and there's a difference between being a traveler. And when you're a tourist, you go somewhere. It's like, for instance, when I was married, my ex and I had a timeshare in Maui, and I paid X number of dollars for it. But whenever we went there, it was expensive to go because Hawaii is expensive. Uh, or if we went somewhere on vacation uh, between airfare and between hotels and between food and between all those different things, you know, you, you couldn't get away for l less than a couple thousand dollars on a trip. And that's for a couple. You start adding kids into the equation and it, it multiplies exponentially. But what really changed when I realized that there's a difference between being a tourist and going somewhere and then having to return 
versus being a traveler, which means that you're going somewhere and you're staying there for a longer period of time. Because when you stay at, say, an Airbnb or a VRBO for a month, you're normally going to get anywhere from as little as a 10% to as much as a 40 or 50% discount on your lodging. So right there, that saves you a lot of money. Um, if you have access to a kitchen, that's normally going to save you money. If you go out to eat, that's normally going to be less expensive than what we find in the United States, unless, here's the big unless. For people who want to travel to London, to Paris, to Stockholm, to, you know, uh, these expensive, what you would call first-rate, upper-class cities, they're going to be expensive, and you can't really get any discounts anywhere. But yet, if you go to places outside those cities or smaller cities outside uh, the larger cosmopolitan areas, your money goes far. And in the United States, air traffic is insanely expensive. I lived in Southern California, and I could travel to Europe from Los Angeles for about the same money as I could from Los Angeles to the East Coast of the United States, usually somewhere around $450, $500 maybe. And when you're in Europe or when you're in Asia or when you're in South America, because I've been to all of them, you have regional carriers and airline traffic, airline um, prices are so much less expensive. I mean, I'm in, I'm in uh, Antalya, Turkey right now, and it's the southernmost part of Turkey. And I can fly to Istanbul for about $60 round trip. And it's about, you know, maybe a thousand, twelve hundred miles. If I was in the United States, that would probably be a two to three hundred dollar round trip airplane ticket. So prices in the United States for airline traffic, for food, for taxis, for Uber, all that stuff is insane. But when you actually go to some other places in the world, like where I am right now, I'm paying less than five hundred dollars a month for a really nice apartment within a five minute walk to the beach. I can go out and eat three meals a day if I chose to for probably twenty five dollars a day. I joined the gym, which is probably the best gym I've been at in the last God knows how many years. It cost me about $10 a month. So the point is is that a lot of people are fearful that, one, they can't afford it. Uh, two, they think it's scary. And sure, there are some, you know, some scary times out there as far as feeling uncomfortable. And a lot of people think that, well, I have to speak the language, but English is my only language, and we've lived in uh, in 25 different countries over the last three years and have never had a problem with uh, with with translations. I mean, thank God for Google Translate. And every once in a while, you have to point at a picture of a menu and decide that's what you want to eat. But English, thank God, is the universal language. And for the most part, it will get you by in most of the world that anyone wants to go to unless you're in some small town somewhere. Well said. And that's the truth right there, folks. What Norm just said is the truth. And with you starting so late in life, and a lot of other individuals who are listening who do have fear and apprehension, how did you overcome that? You know, with you having to go to your speaking tour, how did you overcome maybe some of those fears and apprehensions that you were having? Well, you know, the universe works in strange ways. And at the time, I was in an industry that was really being pounded by government intervention. And so, unfortunately, from 2015, 2016, 2017, my income started to drop. Meanwhile, the expenses of living in Southern California stayed the same or went up. And so I started writing for different magazines. And as a writer, the beauty is, is that you don't have to have, um, you can be location independent. You can do it from anywhere. 
And for anyone out there who's listening who is a blogger, who is a writer, who is a, uh, a songwriter or anyone involved in anything where you're doing things remotely, that's the beauty of today's world. You know, Chapin and I are communicating now on Skype and we use Skype and we use Zoom and we use um, WhatsApp and, you know, you can do things remotely, uh, taking into account the time change. And it's also it's almost the same as being there. So you can be a consultant, you can be a doctor, you can be a counselor, you can do a lot of different things uh, remotely that you couldn't do even 10 years ago. So when it came to my situation, you know, when I left the United States, it was kind of like I realized I didn't have much choice. If I stayed where I was, eventually I'd get to the point of where I could not afford to live a comfortable lifestyle. That was one. Two, when I recognized that I could live outside the United States for less money than what I could living in the United States, that was the aha moment. When she and I went to Barcelona and we paid $45 a night for an amazing room overlooking the um, La Familia, uh, the Gaudi Cathedral there, the La Familia Sagrada. And, um, you know, that room in the United States would be, you know, a couple hundred dollars. And instead, for us, it was like $45. So, you know, living outside the United States is, is certainly affordable. And for people who are, I'm going to say, older, over 50, over 55, over 60, um, Social Security it can, be, can, for the most part, give you enough to, to live comfortably. And if you have assets, if you have a house to sell, or if you can rent it out and live off of the cash flow from that, you can live comfortably outside the United States for realistically $2,000 a month. Now, $2,000 a month in the United States, $24,000, $25,000 a year, that's poverty level. That's poverty level. But in, throughout a lot of the world, that's not poverty level at all. That's uh, above average living in many places, including some of the places where I am right now. Yeah, so true. And I fell in love with the same same things that you have, just finding that beautiful little beach town someplace where I'm, I'm spending, for me at this point, it's like 10 bucks a night on a room, the private bathroom, and, exactly. and like eating yeah. street tacos all day. And you know my, my cost of living is like maybe 30 bucks because I like to drink a few beers at night. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just for people like us, it's such a beautiful lifestyle because it gives us that freedom and we get exposed to so many new cultures. Um, and you've luckily found a way and had a skill set with your writing that has helped you maintain that lifestyle without just having to scrape by with your social security. And what type of writing have you used? Is it, are you taking any type of writing jobs? I know you've been working on your books, but when you were started freelance writing, are you looking for specific types of things to write about or what do you like to write about is my question, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Well, um, I had a business and have a business in the world of uh, vaping, electronic cigarettes and CBD. So it's a very, very small niche, but I actually write for a magazine that uh, every other month I write an article for them and that gives me X number of dollars. And then there's another magazine that's geared towards the smoke shop industry. For them, I write two to three articles a month and that gives me uh, a fair amount of money right there. But there's a lot of online uh, outlets, like for instance, Upwork was one that you and I have talked about. Uh, every week I go through Upwork and I look for anything that catches my eye. And ideally I'm looking for something in the travel-related industry. Because the day I left Southern California, February 17th of 2019, I started a blog called Travel Younger. And I started you know, profiling 
here's what's going through my head right now sitting in Los Angeles airport and here's what we had to do to get there. Here's the things that we had to sell and here's the process we went through when we were trying to obtain a residency permit in Spain and here's the challenges that we had and everything. So I basically have been taking people along the way and I took the first 50 blog posts and I converted that into a book which is called Traveling the World Six Weeks at a Time and that's now on Amazon. I took the next 50 blog postings and that's now volume two and I'm working on volume three. So I've written a couple of books and one of the benefits of COVID is that COVID boredom allowed me to bring out some creativity in my imagination. I've always had a pretty good imagination, but I never wrote what I would call fiction. But as it turned out, I wrote a couple of fiction short stories and I wrote a couple of fiction longer series. And in the process of doing that, I went, wow. COVID actually helped me because it allowed me to tap into my imagination. And I said to myself, there's got to be other people out there who have had positive COVID experiences. I wonder if I could write a book about that. So I did a little bit of research and I looked at URLs for website names and everything. And I came up with the, uh, the, the, the book title, which is called COVID Stories. Uh, COVID Stories is uh, basically uh, what I call you know, positive lessons that started very, very badly. These are the people who um, were confronted with COVID and they had all kinds of challenges to face. And, you know, when you have a situation where uh, someone gets sick and you can't visit them in the hospital because the hospitals weren't allowing visitors. And when you have a situation where someone owns a gym and suddenly their gym is closed down because that's not deemed to be an essential service. And you have so many different scenarios of, of people out there who had really bad, crappy things happen to them because of COVID. But yet, over the course of the, you know, the 12, 18, 24 months that have taken place since then, some of these p people had really great outcomes, whether it be something as simple as several of my writers are from, from India. And like one of the writers uh, uh, in the book, COVID Stories, she was a travel writer, and suddenly she couldn't travel anymore. So she started going back to baking and she started going back to nature and she started paying attention to her garden and she started baking for friends and for family and everything. And the net result was is that she didn't fall apart and she didn't, you know, uh, disappear or anything else like that. She just kind of reallocated her time and reallocated her efforts and everything. Um, and, and so some of the people in these stories, they they had opportunities placed in front of them that would not normally have had. Why? Because they were forced out of that very comfortable bubble they had been living in. You know, as I said earlier on, you know, we all live in a bubble of whatever size it is. And when that bubble is burst and your job is gone and you aren't able to family, you visit your family and you aren't able to travel and you aren't able to do this. And, and a couple of the stories within the book, I found 19 people. I call it the COVID-19 because obviously that's the name of the virus. So I found 19 writers all together. And three of the stories are love stories including a lady who whose position, whose job stopped because of COVID. And then she went to a workshop and she ran into someone who she had known several years earlier. And had she not lost her job, had she not gone to that workshop, she would not have met this guy. And he had a similar tale. His business was also negatively impacted by COVID. And long story short, the two of them started and developed a relationship and they are now married. So that's what I call a real nice positive outcome from COVID because that would not have happened had, uh, had it not come to fruition. Absolutely. So COVID stories, and 
I'm interested in this aspect of what you've done. So it sounds like you looked for writers to help fill in those 18 or 19 stories. And were you looking yeah. on like places like Upwork? How are you finding these individuals to write? No, there's a couple of, there's a couple of websites that I belong to. Uh, one is called PitchWiz, and it's for people who uh, want to write. Uh, it's either for people who are looking for writers or for people who are writers who are looking for content to write about. Uh, there's another one called Harrow, Help a Reporter Out, that's very well known, and, and that's for people in the media who are looking for sources. And um, basically, the word of mouth got got things out there, and people found me. And, and what I said is, what I'm looking for is I want to know how your life is better. I don't want to know how you handled COVID. I want to know how your life is better because of COVID and not worse because of COVID. And like I said, there's probably hundreds, if not more, uh, people out there all over the world who went through a lot of crap and um, a lot of heartache. But yet the positive aspects is hopefully it had something good that came out of it. Maybe they become stronger. I mean, my my fiance and I talk about this all the time. COVID was a huge test for people. And it brought out some of the best in people, and it brought out some of the worst in people. And uh, for, for some of the ones who hopefully brought the best out in people, it was a real test. It was a real test of relationships, you know, because now you had people uh, sequestered together who weren't able to go to work. You had kids who were now, you know, at home instead of going to school. So all those things, you know, when thrown into the mix, really brings out the worst in people, and it brings out the best in people. So... Uh, long story short, um, don't get me wrong. I want COVID, this, this bullshit to be over <laughs> because none of us want to deal with the uh, inconsistencies and uh, the, the, the problems with the tests and the problems with the vaccines and the problem with this and problems with that and everything. But the bottom line is, is that uh, positive lessons did in fact come out of it. And, you know, it didn't stop us from traveling, but it did stop us from traveling to certain places that we wanted to go. Like my girlfriend and I, my fiance and I went to South America and we went to Peru and we wanted to go to Chile as well. But Chile was totally off limits to Americans. And right now here I am relatively close to Israel and Israel is still off limits to Americans. And so, yeah, for the time being, we're just going to sit and chill and, and enjoy the best of what Turkey has to offer, which is actually a lot. Yeah, I appreciate your approach, Norm, because I think that positivity is lacking a lot of people's daily mindset and just what people speak about in general is just so negative um, especially here in America which leads me to my next question which in your travels what are you hearing on the ground right now in Turkey about COVID vaccines um, how are people feeling about these things because obviously what I'm feeling here is unique to me in America and I haven't I've been to Mexico and Mexico's not at all like America like it's so much different. So what's it like there in Turkey? I'm going to answer that question two different ways or actually give you a little bit of a background. Um, so before I ever left the United States, I pretty much disengaged from the media. When I was married and lived in Orange County and read the newspaper every day, um, I got caught up in all the stuff that was happening all over the world and all the stuff that was happening in my state and in my city. And usually I would watch the 630 News and I would see all the stuff that was happening. And it's not exactly a happy time uh, of your day when you're reading about all this stuff that you can't do a damn thing about. So I pretty much disengaged from a lot of that negativity. Um, and so when she and I left, we paid attention to what was going on, but we didn't get mired down in it. I mean, when COVID hit, 
it still you know was well known to us and when we came back to the united states in march of 2020 for her son's wedding we stayed with friends who had their television on 24 7. they were glued in front of fox they were glued in front of cnn they were glued in front of all the stuff that was going on and of course this was all brand new and president Trump was responding to, you know, all the different feedback and advisors that were telling him what to do. And no one really knew what was the right process to do. But for the most part, we didn't pay much attention to it. When we got to Mexico, uh, we got there just before they went into their their, their most severe state, stage orange or, or stage red. Uh, so when we got there, we were there for like a week or two and everything was cool. And then suddenly the restaurants started shutting down so that the only way for you to get fed is to is for takeout or pickup and it stopped us from going into the beach i mean they shut down the beach in puerto morales mexico which was just south of cancun to the point of where you could not go into the water and it made no sense to me uh, but it still negatively impacted our life so in the 15 months that we were in mexico they would go through different stages and there was a while that my gym was closed twice while they were in the more uh, severe stages and everything. Um, and of course, we'd hear about it and we'd know people that had the disease. And at the time, we really didn't know anyone who was hospitalized or anything more than that. It was really just a matter of, yeah, so-and-so had it or we hear about people in town that had it. But um, And obviously, it congested their hospitals because they aren't exactly you know first world over there. But when we got to Croatia, when she and I finally got back to Europe, we let out a yay as we landed in Split Airport, and we saw that no one had masks on. And in the two months that we stayed in Split, Croatia, uh, masks were a non-issue. Uh, law enforcement, they didn't wear them. Uh, every once in a while, you'd walk into a grocery store, and they you know, they do the whole mask thing, so we have to put on masks. We always, always had to carry it with us. Shoe stores, of all things, would sometimes ask that we put our masks on. But overall, uh, it was pretty much a non-issue. If you went to the mall you would normally have to put it on. And so when we came to Turkey, again, we didn't know what to expect. Um, we had to go through a little bit of a process to get here, but it wasn't a big deal. And overall, it's pretty much a non-issue here too. I really don't hear too much talk about it. Um, in some of the larger cities like Istanbul, you know, you have a large, large population, high density and everything. They probably have a higher incidence. But now with this new Omicron, of course, it's giving the media a whole new, you know, it's giving them all the new fodder for all this kind of new stuff. But from everything I'm hearing, this stuff is, is very contagious. It's getting people, but it does not seem to be as deadly. It does not seem to be as damaging. And so you don't hear about the hospitals being, you know, uh, um, you know, falling apart or anything else like that. And so the reality of it is, is that when you get outside the United States, when you are confronted by media, you you can't avoid it. Even though I didn't read the paper and didn't watch the news, you can't get away from media. But the beauty of being in another country is that media, especially international media, is pretty much uh, non-existent. I would have to intentionally seek it out in order to find out what's going on, and I would choose not to. Mm -hmm. Why bother? Do you feel like the individual fear and paranoia of Turkish people is comparable to, say, some in America? Because I feel like it's there's a no. heightened state of fear and paranoia no. in America. Uh, no, just the opposite. I think what's interesting, and I had several conversations with people in Croatia about it, they take the position that, you know what, it's my life. I want to do what I want to do. It's my risk. I'll risk it if I choose to. And I'm not going to buy into the whole, uh, you know, all the stuff that the government's telling you because the governments, especially in the EU, 
you have all kinds of stuff that's going on right now. And, um, you know, the EU, of course, is 26 countries that is all trying to work together as one cohesive unit. And, you know, you just don't know whether what they're telling us is, is correct or whether it's accurate. Um, but w- here in here in Turkey and where we were in Croatia, they pretty much went by the attitude like America did 150 years ago. If you're a settler and if you're a pioneer out there, you know what? You're going to fend for yourself and you're going to make it or break it on your own. If a bear comes to your door, you're going to shoot it, but otherwise leave the bear alone. Hmm. Yeah. And the stories that you've been accumulating, amassing for your COVID-19 positive lessons that started very, very badly, you noted that a lot of the individuals were from India. Yeah. Is that just through circumstance, like just word of mouth, and you were attracted to their stories for some specific reason? Um, Basically, I had submissions from all over the world, and there's seven countries that were represented. There's two people from from India. Um, Majority were from the U.S. and from the U.K., I have a couple people from Africa, and their stories are rather interesting because these are the people from Africa. One's in Ethiopia and one's in Nigeria, and and these are, you know, English-speaking people, educated but not, you know, highly educated like by American standards. But yet they went through their own share of um, of experiences, primarily because the family unit in India, excuse me, in Africa is very um, very controlling. Just like India. So you have in India, of course, you have the arranged marriages and in Africa you have arranged marriages and you have very, very strong family structures to the point of where a lot of people live with their family, you know, into their 20s and beyond. And the father is the ruler of the house and the mother, you know, takes care of the things and everything. And so um, some of the people from Africa had to burst out of that. They had to burst out of that environment because it was too it was too um, constricting to them. And so, um, like I said, the people who contacted me and who wrote from, you know, what I would call third world countries like Africa and India, uh, their stories are a little bit different, but still very positive outcomes at the same time. Hmm. Yeah, it's really cool that you have that pool of people to pick from and, and the different stories that did come out of it. And then what you're learning just through the cultural differences of those cultures going through crisis. I mean, that's really interesting to me yeah. to learn about like how they well, that's a- go ahead. That's the beauty of the world today, Chapin. And, you know, for a lot of people who are listening to this right now who have never spent any significant time outside of your home country or the United States, when you get outside of the U.S., it's a whole different perspective. Like most people, like most Americans, I thought the world really cared and revolved around what we did. (laughs) But the truth is they don't give a damn. They've got their own problems. They've got their own challenges. Almost every country we've been to, they complain about the politicians. They complain about the bureaucracy. They be, they complain about the ridiculous rules and regulations and laws and everything. It's like they're all mini versions of their own, you know, bitch and moan session because they still are complaining about what's going on in their own country. And, you know, in the United States, we, we think that we are the leaders of the free world. And for the most part, we have been. But yet um, – People don't pay attention and follow what the U.S. does to the degree that it was before. I think that we've lost a lot of credibility over the years, and I think people have become a little bit more me-centric to the point of where they're focusing on what's going on in their specific country at that specific time, and uh, that's enough to keep them busy. That's enough to keep their minds occupied. Yeah, 
And you're in Turkey now, and, and prior to the start of this conversation, we talked about you getting your residency there. So it sounds like you're going to stick around there for a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, for several reasons. Um, we loved Croatia and still do. And for many years, that was the number one country on our list when people said, where's your favorite place in the world? And when we returned to Croatia in October of, of uh, 2021, we went there for two reasons. One is because we love it, and two, because my fiance had some dental work started there two years earlier, and we weren't able to get it done until she returned. So we got that done, and then we came to Turkey because we wanted to be warm. As, as Southern Californians for many years, uh, we're warm weather wimps, and so when it gets below 50 degrees, we, you know, we don't like it very much. So we came here, but truly within a couple of days, 24, 48 hours, we fell in love with this place because it's Mediterranean. And we have just beautiful mountains and, and, you know, from, from one viewpoint, I can be looking at the mountains and seeing in the distance, not very far away, snow peak, snow capped mountains there. Um, just beautiful, beautiful cliffs and, and good infrastructure between buses and trains and trams and different things like that. Uh, cost of living is very, very nice. Weather, very similar to Southern California, a little bit colder in winter, a little bit warmer in summer. But for the most part, um, we decided that this is a place that we, we could hang for a bit. Now, normally, if we did not go for residency, we, we could only stay for 90 days because that's pretty much the rule throughout most of the world. There's two countries that for Americans you can stay for a year. One is Albania, uh, which we looked at several times, and the other one is Georgia, which is just north of Turkey. And we looked very closely at Georgia for a bit. So we decided, based on what everyone was telling us, that we can get our residency very easily. So that's what we did. And it involved a couple hundred dollars. It involved filling out some forms online. And it involved going in and paying some small taxes. So the whole thing cost us for two people somewhere around $400. So for $400, we would have residency that would allow us to stay here for one year to two years. And then at the end of that period, we can renew it. So that takes away a huge um, time issue you know the problem with being a world traveler guys is that most of part most of the time unless you are an eu resident you can only stay in an eu country for 90 days and unfortunately because of what they call the schengen zone they all treat it as one country so unless you leave the schengen zone uh you, you have to constantly be moving every couple of months so now we have options we can stay here for a year we've got georgia that is immediately to the north of us we can stay there for a year We've got Romania, which is immediately adjacent. We can go there for 90 days. That's not even part of the EU Schengen zone. We could go to Albania, which is just two countries away. We could go there for a year. So now, if we wanted to, we could, within maybe a thousand mile radius, we could go to a half a dozen different countries and not have to worry about it. So the whole benefit to the residency is at least it gives us option. At least we aren't forced to do something at the end of 90 days and um, you know, we're in this town called Antalya, which is just spectacular. We just love it, love it, love it. And we uh, are here until the end of May. But from what we hear is come summer season. This is this is the, the fifth largest city in the country of Turkey. And it's probably uh, the most popular tourist destination. A lot of people from Russia, a lot of people from from the UK and all throughout Europe, they come here to Turkey because it's very, very affordable. So Come summertime, it gets more pricey just because of supply and demand. It also gets very, very hot, and it also gets very, very crowded. 
It's an old city. It's 2,000 year old, years old. I mean, right outside my window is a wall that's 2,000 years old. It was built right around the Roman times, and there's walls and there's monuments all over, you know, within a, a one-hour drive of here that are, you know, two, two millennium old. Um, and I didn't want to deal with these, mas- these massive crowds. So come summertime, we're going to go somewhere that's not a tourist destination, that's going to be just as affordable, that's going to be just as nice. And then the plan is to come back here after summer. And probably every six months or so, we'll be moving to one of two locations, somewhere in town and somewhere outside of town. But at least we have the benefit of all worlds. We have a home base that is comfortable for us and we know people and now we have places to stay. We don't have to start our search from scratch. And so it offers the best of both worlds. Oh, so jealous. I'm going to get there, though. I'm coming, I'm coming to get you, Norm. <laughs> You're still a young man. you got plenty of time. Um, what kind of hobbies do you have aside from writing? I mean, no, that's your career and not necessarily a hobby at this point, but what kind of stuff do you do for fun? Well, I've been a gym rat for about 50 years. And so usually when we get to a new location, the first thing we do is we seek out a coffee shop because my fiance loves her coffee and she's a writer as well. And so she works better in a coffee shop in a, in a working environment. For me, I write better from home, but as a gym rat, I, I seek out a gym. So I hit the gym three or four days a week and it's wonderful because I go to the gym and I come home and I get myself cleaned up. And uh, there's a lot of really cool things to see around town, but because I write for a couple of trade magazines and I've got a couple of books in process, uh, that's primarily what keeps me busy. But, you know, develop some friendships already. Uh, we have a real good friend from Morocco. Uh, he's become, you know, part of our uh, good friends of, of me and her, and, and we got the, we hang out with her. And come March, I'm going to be getting a motorcycle out of Romania through a connection that I had there from several years ago. And uh, so we're going to have access to a motorcycle, which is going to be awesome because now we can do do some exploring on our own. Right now, we're kind of limited to doing tours, which we haven't. We've only done one tour. And just to give you an idea of the cost uh, of of what we're doing, we, we were gone from roughly seven thirty in the morning until eight o'clock at night on a tour that took us up to this big cable car with an amazing view. At the bottom, it's like overcast and raining. At the top, it's a whiteout. It's totally snow which was kind of cool in and of itself. Um, had an amazing lunch, took us over to this place where there is methane gas coming out of the earth and it actually has fire. Uh, it's all natural. It's been there you know, for, for centuries. And that, that entire day, including lunch and everything, cost like $18. So we're going to start exploring some of the tours that are available because uh, they're very, very reasonably priced and there's so much to see within you know, maybe a, a two or three hour drive from here. So uh, the motorcycle is going to be a really nice addition to our lifestyle because it's going to allow us to do some kind of cool, fun exploration. Yeah, it's a cool kind of like old school term you used uh, that remind me of like drug smuggling movies where it's like, yeah, I have a contact in Romania. He's going to get me a motorcycle. <laughs> With your residency, are you going to be able to get a driver's license and a bank account? Bank account I can get right now. Um, we, we, it's required that we have what they call a tax ID and that was about a five minute process online. So now with the tax ID, I can get a bank account, but the truth is, is I don't really need one. And that's another misconception that people have out there is they remember the old days when people needed to be worrisome about carrying cash and they had to have, you know, what they call traveler's checks, which you know, people of a certain age don't even know what a traveler's check anymore. But now 
uh, with a, a debit card, you know, you have you have ATMs all over the world, and whenever we need local cash, here they have what they call the Turkish lira, which has been unfortunately for them advantageous for us. Uh, the lira has just been bombarded and it's dropped in value significantly. Um, uh, Turkey, unfortunately, got hit with some pretty nasty inflation in 2021. And so their lira lost a lot of value. Again, for U.S. dollars or for U.K. pounds, uh, it was wonderful because their money went that much further. But um, for the most part, um, you don't really need a bank account. I'm going to get one just because it's nice to have. Driver's license is another story. Um Apparently, the process of getting a driver's license in Turkey is insane. Uh, they want you to have your high school graduation diploma. Now, <laughs> for someone who's 22, that's easy to find. For someone who's 67, I don't have it, and I don't even know if I could get it. Uh, so why they need something like that so obscure after 50 years is a mystery to me. But I think for the most part, I can get by with my U.S. California driver's license. So um, I'm going to play that one by ear. I, I'll, I'll only do it if I'm forced to do it for sure. Cool. And this uh, new book of yours, COVID Stories, Positive Lessons, that started very, very badly. Is that on Amazon right now? Is that out? That is out. That is on Amazon, along with Traveling the World, Part 1 and 2. Uh, that is on Amazon as well. And uh, for anyone who's interested, they could uh, always just send me an email. Um, I'll make sure that you have it. But it's asknormb, A-S-K-N-O-R-M-B, asknormb at gmail.com. You're welcome to send me an email, and they'll send you links to all the written material I've had over the last several years, including a couple of short stories and a couple of fantasy stories. And like I said, COVID boredom kind of brought out some um, creativity in me, and I started writing some some. Um, some short stories and some novellas that, that took a whole different turn that I never would have expected before. That's so cool. I love these kind of stories, Norm. If you could speak to one audience member and kind of summarize all this wisdom that you've just given us over the last 45 minutes, inspiring them to maybe take that first step out in the world or start the digital nomad life that we both love so much, what would you say? So I'm going to speak to my avatar, which is say a 62 to 65-year-old person, male or female, who realizes that they have more time behind them than ahead of them. And if they don't do something now, the opportunity to travel is going to be gone because the reality of it is is that as our bodies weaken over years, it's harder to do hiking and it's harder to climb stairs and it's harder to carry backpacks and suitcases and various things like that. So for someone who is retired, or think about retiring, or think about retiring, or has the ability to retire, and who you're looking to maybe explore the world a little bit, but you're fearful of it, all I can say is go out and do it. You don't necessarily have to jump into the deep end like we did all at one time. What I recommend to people, Chapin, is um, rent your house out or go somewhere for a month. Just go, or go somewhere for six weeks. Just go somewhere that's not America and be there and still have a place to go back to if you want that magnet that's going to bring you back. You know, you don't have to sell everything. You don't have to abandon all hope. You just have to be brave enough to, you know, go and do something different. But yes, do it. You are not too old. It is certainly not too expensive, especially compared to living in the United States. And it's not that difficult because thanks to smartphones, I mean, 
the smartphones are the are the, is the best travel invention ever because you can book boat, you can book planes, you can translate, you can do currency conversions, you can do anything. You've got access to your email, you've got access to Facebook. I mean, everything you're just carrying around with you. It's almost as though your 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 office is trailing behind you, so you don't have to feel like you're missing anything. But the tools and resources. If I want to take a train or if I want to take a bus, I can do that on the fly. I can I can I can book a plane flight right now from my phone and and be at the airport in two hours if I wanted to do such a thing. Um, you you can get your visas done online. You can do everything online through apps and through websites and everything. So, you know, to speak to that one audience member, the 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 person who is retired or retiring and who has wanderlust and who dreams about doing these things but maybe is too scared to do it, I'd say just get out there and do it. Don't be afraid. Um, because this is a wonderful lifestyle to lead. And it's like when I look at the things that I have seen, when I look at the places I've been over the last couple of years and how my mind and how my, my, uh, my lifestyle has improved in exchange, I mean, now I, I, can, I can point to 500 plus different cities that I've been to over the last three years and I can reflect back on them and the different people that were there and the different lifestyles that people have. And it makes you really appreciate anyone who's listening to this. If you were born in the United States, we were born with so many things going for us without ever doing anything other than just the creation of being born. There are people who were born in these small towns in South America or in Turkey or in Thailand or whatever who never had the opportunities to travel. You know, People always say, oh, you're leading our lifestyle. But for people who live in the countries that we travel to, they can't do it because their dollars don't go very far. Our U.S. dollars are... Our, our, our U.S. dollars carry so much weight that they allow us to live very, very comfortably through, you know, probably 80% of the whole world. 80% of the whole world, man. Well said, Norm. I appreciate you. Thank you for your time. My pleasure. Awesome, Norm. Thank you so much for your time. I do appreciate you. And again, thank you to all my patrons out there. Bob, Colleen, John, Yazi, Wallace, Jen, Mark, Jay, Tina, Colin. Appreciate you so much. Your guys' donation means so much to me. So thank you again. And if you'd like to donate as well, please head over to Patreon. You can search Misfits and Rejects in within Patreon, or you could type in Misfits and Re- or you could type in patreon.com backslash Misfits and Rejects. Any amount helps, and I appreciate you for doing it. So with that said, I hope you enjoy this episode with Norm Bauer, and stay tuned for next week's episode. I think you all are so very beautiful. Have a great day. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.